Coming up on this Big Gay Fiction Fest episode, we've got an author spotlight featuring Kate Hawthorne. Welcome to episode 382 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will. Hello, Rainbow Romance reader. We are so glad that you could join us for another episode of the show. We want to welcome you to the first of seven Big Gay Fiction Fest episodes that will feature author spotlights, genre-specific panels, and a special Big Gay Fiction book club selection. And I'm happy to announce that that selection is the super sexy second chance romantic suspense with some bodyguard and fake relationship tropes thrown in for good measure. It is Under His Protection by Laquette. The Fiction Fest book club episode will wrap up the Fest programming when it releases on Monday, June 27th. So if you haven't yet read this fantastic book, you've got plenty of time before our deep dive discussion comes out at the end of the month. And now let's get started with our first author spotlight. Kate Hawthorne has been writing gay romance since 2018. And this summer, she's releasing her new series, Not Ready for Love, which kicked off with Not Allowed and continues with To Love You, which releases next week on June 16th. Not only did we discuss the series, but we also chat about the Two Truths and a Lie series, as well as what started Kate writing. Kate, thank you so much for joining us for the Big Gay Fiction Fest. We're excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So before we dive in talking about books, I want to go backwards a little bit and look at your past a little. What set you up on the path to being a writer? Um, I feel like I've always been a writer to some degree. Like when I was in school, I was always that kid who was the reader and the writer and like library times, always super into that. And, you know, in, in high school, nobody ever told me that like I could grow up and be a writer. <laughs> like it's one of those things where like you're, you're obviously doing this required reading and you understand that writers exist but nobody was ever like, hey, this is something that you really like and that you're good at. You can pursue this. And so originally when I graduated from high school, I was going to be an English teacher because I think every author has like that really impactful English teacher, humanities teacher that really changed the course of their education. And I had one. And so I was like, well, I want to pay this back and this is what I want to do. And life had other plans. And I ended up dropping out of college, like my second semester and my career took a whole different path. And um, then I was in my thirties. I got back into like actively reading and, and Amazon and it's great, wonderful guidance was like, oh, you read this book. You might like this book. And it's sort of Amazon led me down this rabbit hole of like, hetero romance to dark hetero romance to like menage to gay romance. And so I'm like a late comer to reading gay romance, even though I'm familiar with it. Um, So I started reading it and I got onto Facebook and I was like finding like, oh my God, there's all this social media. And these authors are all engaging with people and I'm making like new friends who are like reading the same things that I'm reading. Um, And then just for fun, one day I was in a group chat with some friends and one of my best friends, Ian Denning, who is also an author. um, I wrote something and she was like, this is, this is good. You should, my, her and my friends were like, you should keep doing this. Like you should seriously do this. And I was like, really? Like, 
should I? But I'm like, also like, good job. Good job, Kate, for sure do it. And so I just like, I wrote a book <laughs> um, and I didn't even tell my husband about it. So this was like four and a half or five years ago. I didn't even tell my husband about it because I was just like, if this goes anywhere, then I'll be like, Hey, here's this thing I did. But my husband's like my number one cheerleader in all things. And I knew that he would super hype me up and I didn't want him to get invested in it for it to just like not go anywhere and not become anything. Um, and so I published my, my first book and it did extremely well. Um, and then I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep doing this then. And that was four and a half years ago. And and here we are. So, you know, just good books and supportive friends, I think is what got me here this time. There are so many things I love about what you said, starting (laughs) with the supportive English teacher. Yes. I think that is almost the foundation of every writer that I know is that there's that English teacher who set the spark. Yes, Uh, absolutely. And of course, I love that you have a supportive spouse. I think that is so important to have not just the friends in your life, but the spouse who will like be that cheerleader. Cause sometimes you need that. Cause this is not an easy thing that you do as a writer. Yeah. He is like so supportive with everything. Even when it comes down to like shifting, like parenting responsibilities, if I want to go do a book signing or like, he's just so encouraging and accommodating and helpful. And just, it, I could not do it without him for sure. What would you say the trademarks of a Kate Hawthorne book are at this point, now that you're like, you know, the four and a half years in? Um, Kink, for sure, to some degree. I want to say that like 95% of my books have some kind of kink in them, Um, but not necessarily like what you would, what readers would expect in a kinky book. I've I try to like approach kink a little bit differently. Um, but like kink and angst, I think is where I'm at right now. Like, um, the little tagline on some of my promo stuff is angst and Spanx. So I think that's a, that's a pretty like encompassing, um, teaser about what you're going to get when you open one of my books. (laughs) How would you describe the, the kind of kink that plays out in your stories? I, um, have like a personal, personal experience with kink, um, for the past years and years and years of my life. Um, and so I, I see how people can engage in like BDSM and like the kink lifestyle and have that be part of their personality, but not their whole personality. So I, when I write kinks into books or characters who engage in power exchange relationships, I try to make it as like a facet of their relationship. So it's just something, it's a part of them and it's something that's important to them and it's something that they enjoy, but there's so much more to the characters separate of these kinks. Um, And I also really try to like approach kink from a, like, I always try to like get to the psychology of some of the kinks that I'm writing. um, Because I think that even though these books are fiction, you want to have some elements of accuracy and truth within that content. Um, So I do try to like explain why, especially if I'm writing kinks that are less 
popular or like less common, like trying to sort of like really spend time in these characters' heads going through about why they're into the things they're into. And I really just try to like show that like there's this, it's a broad spectrum of fetishes and kinks and likes and things that get you off and um, showing what that looks like for different people and how that works in different ways for everybody. That like no two relationships or no two doms or no two subs are gonna be the same. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things I like when I read kink is to get kind of behind, as you put it, the psychology, you know, why somebody may be into that certain thing, not just that they are into that certain thing, but a little bit more understanding of it, especially as they may explain it to a partner, for example, or a prospective partner, why they like that kink, how they like that kink, you know, that back and forth, because one of the things I love about books, and I think most readers do, is you get that little glimpse into something that may not be part of your life. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I have like, I have one book with a couple that has they do some like uh, humiliation in within like the bounds of their relationship and so it was a lot of fun to get into those scenes from like both character point of views to see like how they come at it from a place of love and respect and it's not meant to be like a demeaning or a shameful thing and like how something like this really can like bring both of these characters enjoyment and satisfaction and I just try to show that with like every sort of kink that I write. Mm-hmm. How would you stay, say that your stories overall have changed since you began this publishing journey back in 2018, like you said, four and a half years ago? Um, I feel like my craft has obviously gotten definitely like more well-tuned as I, as I've gone, gone on. Um, I will be a pantser until I die. Like I will never... <laughs> in my life, plot a book. Um, But I think that I approach stories now more from like a character-driven perspective. I find a lot more like satisfaction in my craft, like writing character-driven stories. And so now instead of looking at like, here's this plot and here's the story I'm gonna tell through the plot, I write in dual POV. So I'm like, here are these two characters and here's where they are and here's where I want them to go. And then I use like, their character growth and development to move the book forward. So I think that's a shift from like my early books are more plot driven and the later ones I think are definitely more based in like character development and character growth. Do you usually have an end point or do you just let all the character growth and development that you're doing as a pantser dictate the end point that you're, that you end up at? I feel like half, well, you know, when I first started, even when I went from going plot driven to character driven, it was very much like I still write romance. So this endpoint is always going to be this happy ending. Sure. Um, but I wrote a series in what is time? This 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 panic at the panorama disco has completely thrown off like my sense of time. I really I want to say 2020, um, a, a series and I really that's when I started to play with like unconventional happy endings um and recognizing that like what a happy ending looks like for one couple may not be the same for another couple so while it's always been like they're going to have a happy ending that happy ending isn't the same anymore um so it's not a given but like generally I see 
where I want everybody to end up. And I sort of just try to let them get themselves there and hope for the best. Like, and sometimes they do. And sometimes they throw me curveballs and, and then we have of to reevaluate how we're going to get them there. <laughs> I have to say, I think panic at the panorama is the best description I've heard in the last two years. I may have to borrow that from you. It's like, yeah. <laughs> But speaking of that panorama, <laughs> yes, you were so productive in 2020 and 2021, <clears throat> looking at the volume of work that you put out. How did you keep your creative well filled and keep okay. yourself focused while the world was very much on fire? Um, I mean, so I have, I very much treat writing as like a full-time job. Um, but that said, I have like, I call it my day job. I have another job. Um, and for better or for worse, that went work from home on March 13th of 2020. Um, so I didn't have to go into the office anymore. So I have literally been at my desk, in my office, in my home for the duration of the pandemic. Um, so even though I have had a lot of like admittedly, like I've had a lot of like mental health struggles with the anxiety that comes from this pandemic and having a, she, my daughter was three at the time. She's almost six now, um, a child through this. And my husband who was, is an essential worker, um, dealing with all of that anxiety. Like I couldn't just like sit at my desk and let it consume me and overwhelm me. So I just put myself on a schedule and reevaluated like how I spent my time and my day and just wrote through it. <laughs> I just kept going like, cause I, the, the books that I had published in 2020, I had the ideas for them and the plot. And I, like, I knew where I wanted the characters to go um, before the pandemic started. So I was like, you know what to do, just do it. And I did. <laughs> It's really awesome because we've seen on social media, you know, how the pandemic hit so many authors in different ways. Some got more productive, some got much less, some kind of kept the status quo. So it's really great you were able to just keep going and having yeah. your creativity keep keep moving along through all of that. Yeah, I had to. And writing, like, writing started as a... I don't want to say like a hobby, but it started as something fun that I was just doing for fun. And that's one of the things that my husband always reminds me when something about writing does stress me out. He's like, is it fun? This is supposed to be fun. Why are you doing this? This bit isn't fun. And he really like forces me to sort of step back and like, look at why I'm doing this and, and what my reasons are and what success looks like to me. And then I refocus myself and get back going. Oh, it's so great for that. I like your husband more and more as you talk about it. He's amazing. <laughs> he really is the best. <laughs> now, you're just starting a new series with Not Ready for Love. Tell yes. us about the characters that we're going to meet through this series. Um, Not Ready for Love is a trilogy, and it is a dad's best friend. Um well, it starts with being a dad's best friend story. So you meet Wyatt when he is 18 years old and it's the summer between high school and college. Um, he's lived with his mom for most of his life and he's going to go stay with his dad for a couple of months before he leaves for college. Um, 
so he he's exploring his sexuality and doesn't want to go to college not knowing what's what um as it so often goes with these young impressionable characters and um and then he decides that he is interested in his dad's best friend who was also his dad's neighbor um and so um they get involved and that goes really well until it's not going really well um and then Wyatt leaves for college <laughs> and um and they that is what it is I've been um normally all of my series books are like standalones like even though the series are interconnected they all can stand alone this one is not. I try to tell everybody everywhere I can that book one is a cliffhanger. It is a hard cliffhanger. There is not resolution at the end of this book at all. Um, and so we leave them when Wyatt leaves for college and it looks like what it looks like. And then the other books go through life. The middle book is Wyatt's uh, dad um, pursuing his second chance relationship that he's after. Um, and we, you get sneak, you get peaks of Wyatt and Grant, who is the best friend in that second book. And then the third book is Wyatt and Grant later in life, um, coming back together for whatever their reasons are and finally getting a chance at really getting to explore what it means to be together. Um, and Wyatt, of course, being older, has a lot more life experience under his belt and is probably a better partner for Grant at that point than he would have been when he was younger. So it, I think it works out for them in the end. And then they do get their happy ending at the end of the series. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what that is. And I just had found some pictures at a book signing I was at last July. Um, I found the, the picture that's on the cover of the first book, Not Allowed, I saw in a Eric McKinney, who's the photographer in his little photo book. And I took a picture of it on my phone and I sent it to my group chat with my author friends. And I was like, look at this picture. Like, <laughs> and I had all of these ideas in my head and I was like talking to other author friends. I'm like, I want to write this book and I have all these ideas and I ended up buying the picture, but I fell in love with another picture. And I was like, well, maybe I can give them two books and yeah. <laughs> And then there goes my bank account, and here we are. I'm always into intrigued by the authors who, you know, find that cover, buy the cover, and then they got to figure out what they're exactly going to do with it. And then you ended up with two covers. To yeah, and to that, do. and that, but then I had to find like a third cover too because I was like, I already had these ideas for like the dad, um, and that is like 100% not me. Like I have never been like a photo purchaser. I'm like I have a really great cover designer, so I'm like. Fine me a stock photo and make it work. But the picture was just too good to not use. Um, and so I, I wanted to do it. And there's some like the characters have been really interesting for me because the, there's definitely like layers of kink that exist within all of the relationships. And so the first book Grant is sort of navigating the fact that he does not want to engage in that kind of relationship with his best friend's son. Because um, he's kind of like, it's bad enough that we're doing what we're doing. I don't want to take it this far. And then sort of how they come together and explore that later on in, in life and, and all of that. So there's definitely like kink in this series. But again, it's just very like 
these are just, these are the characters and this is what the characters like to do with each other. So, And I can see, you know, the other half of your brand playing into this too with the angst. Angst a little <laughs> bit for everybody okay. who's involved, especially in that first book. <laughs> I, I had like an ending point for the first book. And then my proofreader was like, this feels a little bit abrupt to me. And so I sent it to um, a, a reader friend of mine who subscribes to my Patreon, who is reads all of my books like 7,000 times. And so I'm like, hey, can you read this and like give me your honest feedback about what you're thinking? And I was like, here's what I could add at the end. And she was like, yes, absolutely add it. So I added an epilogue to the first book. And then when I sent the review copies out, people were like, that epilogue, Kate, like, how dare you? And I'm like, okay, good. I made the right decision. Because like, there it is. Like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> At least you're being upfront with the cliffhanger, you know, that this is going oh to God. be the trilogy. And I appreciate when, I don't mind cliffhangers, but I know sometimes you want to know that, you know, yes, the series is going to continue. Yes, it's planned for X books, whatever that is to kind yeah. of set the contract with the reader. And I have always had a super aggressive publishing schedule because um, I want to stay in like the algorithm's good favors. But this one is much more. This is a month apart. Like these books are releasing May, June, July. Like I'm going to be finished writing the third book this week. So they're done and they're packaged and they're on pre-order. And so like I want to, I tell people like this is a cliffhanger, but look, like I promise like the end is here. So the next one's right around the corner. Yeah, before you know it. There's so much of this that I just want to pick up. You've got age gap, <laughs> and I love a good age gap. Uh, yeah. Well, clearly there is between an 18-year-old and, you know, dad's best friend, neighbor. Yeah. What um, do you love about age gaps? Can I ask you a question in this? Like, of course. I'm always so curious to see, like, what people like about, like, tropes. I like the age gap because it gives you that moment, especially, and I really like it when the younger person really knows what they want. And it's not about necessarily the older person teaching the younger person, although certainly there'll be some life experience to convey, but it's about, I love it when the younger person is the is confident enough to say, look, I like you. Here's why I like you. You know, sure. There's whatever thing that we're going through, but where you can really get that dynamic of, it doesn't always have to be the older person who's taking the, the leadership role. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I don't like it the other way too, because there are times when that older person can help the younger person figure themselves out, help them become the person that they're meant to be, which I think is also what any good relationship does, regardless uh -huh. of what the the age dynamic is. You're always hopefully making each other better, identifying you know what the other might be able to do to get to where they need to be. But when there is that age dynamic, it can be so much very, so much interesting to see how that plays itself out. And authors who can do age gap well, I'm just like, mm, yeah, give me more. Age yeah, gap can be done that. can be done very poorly. <laughs> and, like any trope, but you know, when it works well, I just it think it just brings interesting dynamics into the story on how the those age things kind of work themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much like nuance that can exist within that kind of relationship. And it's like, like you said, it's not always the older person being the one who is sharing the wisdom and help. Like it, it works both ways. And I love those moments, especially when like the older character 
see something in the younger character or something within the relationship with the younger character that helps something click into place for them. And you're really able to show like the way it's beneficial for both people and show like that real healthy, like dynamic and growth within the character relationship. Yeah. And I love too, that you're stretching this out over three books, even with that. My readers don't, my beta readers hate uh, it. (laughs) See, I like books where there's a good reason for it, where you get to follow one relationship through some set of time across multiple books. I've seen it several romantic suspense series that I've read, you know, take the couple from the first book and just continue it through whatever that arc is of that romantic suspense trilogy. I know one author who stretched it, I think across five or six books before you finally got to the point where you knew that this couple was set. Yeah. Uh, And I've just read a series, um, Rachel Reed's Game Changer series, where she's had a relationship that started in book two and you've seen it in three, four, and five, and now we're back to them as primary in six. Okay. And to see how that has spread itself out, even when they're not the primary, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the different ways we can get there. And I know that, you know, many readers want their happily ever after all contained in that one book. But if there's a good reason and you can give me the compelling story, by all means, stretch it out. (laughs) And that's one of my favorites. I love like in a series, like meeting an established side character couple and seeing them as like a side character or a side couple, like track through the series and then getting to see their whole story. Like I love books about established couples. Like if, especially if you get like the little like breadcrumbs dropped and then you get to them at the end. Like I, oh, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a sucker for that too. (laughs) (laughs) We should trade book recs more often, you and I. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious as you approach series, and this kind of goes back to you being a pantser, and I could see it playing in with this and the series that we're going to talk about in a second, which is Two Truths and a Lie. Right. As you're planning, as you're looking at things as series, does that at all affect how you're planning to know? I'm doing this in one and I've got to get over there for book three just to make sure all of your parts connect together or is it just really piecing it together and taking care of it as it comes? Generally, it is totally fine because most of the series that I write are really just standalones that feature like overlapping characters. Um, my the second series I wrote, the Giving Consent series, the characters in my second book have a lot of overlap from the first book. And I was like, I never want to do this again. Like trying to like pick out their parts from the first book and tell it from their POV in the second book. I was like, this is torture. And I like <laughs> this was not like what I wanted to be doing at all. Um so well, generally, like the way like most of my series work will have like the character, the couple in the first book. And you might meet one of the side characters or the side characters separately for the second book in that first book. But the first characters end up together and they're wrapped up. And so by the time you get to the second book, it's this whole new couple. They might exist within the friend group or the family circle or whatever it is. And then the only thing that really connects is that you have characters from the other books who are single appearing in that book. And then you have the established couple appearing in that book. Um, so there it's rare that I have to like 
hit certain like relationship milestones and, and like piece all of that together. Cause I learned that lesson and we are definitely not doing that ever again. <laughs> That's not it for me. Like kudos to any author who has like the, the, the gusto to like sit behind a computer and like piece that timeline and series Bible together, but it is not me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you approach it when you're doing something like not ready for love, when you've got you know, your couple in book one, you've got things you're going to tell about them in two, but then you know you're going to wrap up on a wrap up their story in three. It's such a weird thing. So with that, so originally that series was just supposed to be one book, right? Like I found the one picture and it was going to be one book. And I was thinking about doing like, like a freebie novella or something like that, that was sort of like, here's five or 10,000 words of when, why it's 18 and propositions grant and give it away as a newsletter thing or whatever. And I was talking to another author friend of mine, she was like, or you could write them a whole book. Like you could just do two books. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, I probably could. (laughs) And then (laughs) I'm obviously so suggestible. I'm like, sure, why not? And then one of my, uh, my PA, my PA actually was like, started reading the first one. And she was like, but the dad, the dad needs a book. I'm like, please don't do this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't do this to me. And then I realized that like, yes, like giving the dad a book would be a good opportunity to like, take up some of the time between, cause there's, there's 10 years between the first book and the third book. Um, and So, but again, like pantsing, right? So I'm writing the second book and I'm dealing with the dad and his boyfriend. And I'm like, I knew that there was going to be an event that brought Wyatt back to town. Um, So the event happened and Wyatt came back to town. But again, like, I'm just the author. I have no idea how that's gonna, that's gonna go. Wyatt comes back to town. Who knows what's gonna happen? Um, So then I sort of just watched like what happened with like Wyatt's interactions with Grant within the context of the dad's book. And that's how I ended up knowing where I needed to start the third book, because I really like, I knew where it was going to end. I know where the third book was going to end, but I had no idea where the third book was going to start until I started writing it. Um, And thankfully they gave me a nice starting point. (laughs) Well, that's good. Um, but again, with like, it's really just like, I do, like when I started, I knew why I was 18. I knew that he was interested in his dad's best friend. And I knew that eventually they were going to end up together, but not at that point. Um, everything that happened in between is as much of a surprise to me as it was to them. <laughs> now, like I alluded to, we have to talk a little bit about a matter of fact which wrapped up right. the Two Truths and the Lies <laughs> series recently. Mm-hmm. Listeners on the podcast may have heard Jay from Joyfully Jay absolutely rave about that book in episode 367. It's the first five-star review that she's given, as she put it, quote-unquote, in a while. Yeah. And she just fell so hard for the redemption arc in that book. <laughs> now, for those who haven't picked up Two Truths and a Lie, tell us a little bit about that series and how you built to that final book that turned out to be so amazing for Jay. Um, right. So again, originally the, um, the first book in that series is called a real, a, a real good lie. And it was supposed to be a standalone. Um, <laughs> There's a theme here. <laughs> I'm supposed yeah, to be standalone. Well, 
Right. Well, yeah. So, so, well, that one was supposed to be a standalone and it ended up not being a standalone. So I thought for sure that not allowed was going to be my standalone, but I keep getting thwarted. Um, so, so I, I, I marketed it as a standalone, even though as I was writing it, I was kind of like, maybe there's room for another thing. So that book, um, is, I feel that book is really character driven. Um, so I loved writing it. Of course, it's about Jason Callahan. Um, and it's a fake relationship book, which, um, it's a trope that like, I love and a trope that I hate. Like I love to write it, but I feel like even like when I'm writing it, when I'm reading it, it's so predictable. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to be fake for long. There's going to end up being only one bed. Like, it's just how it goes. Right. And, um, so I wrote and I had a, I, so they were a fake relationship. Um, there was a big wealth disparity between them. Callahan, super, super rich silver spoon kind of upbringing and Jace, uh, very much not. Um, and they end up getting set up, um, by Callahan's, um, best friend because Callahan needs a fake date to this event because his ex-boyfriend Reese is going to be there and he doesn't want to go alone. And so they're obviously their real, real feelings, fake relationship. And when I was writing that book again, standalone, like Reese was so arrogant and so horrible and so mean in the first book. And in my head, I was like, no one is getting a book because like, this character is a jerk (laughs) and nobody is going to want me to write him a book. Um, But again, my PA Amy was like, I like Reese. I'm like, no, like, no. Um, (laughs) So that was the first book, Jason Callahan conquering, conquering Reese, who's a horrible person in the first book and, and getting over their issues with their wealth gap and, and all of that and, and understanding like how they can be together and what they have to bring to each other's lives. Um, but even as I was getting towards the end of it, I knew that there was going to be a second book, um, as it goes. And, and so then that ended up being, um, Jace's best friend and Callahan's best friend. They get together, um, in the second book. And it just so happens that Jace's best or Callahan's best friend is Reese's little brother. So I knew that by moving from Callahan to Sebastian, who's the younger brother, that we were going to see more of Reese in the second book. And it really gave me an opportunity to sort of write another side of him because I think that like everybody presents themselves differently depending on who they're talking to, right? So like Reese is going to be one way to his ex-boyfriend and he's going to be a different way to his brother. He's going to be a different way to his father. And he's going to carry himself differently depending on who he's talking to and who he's engaging with. Um, And as I was writing Sebastian's book, I realized that Reese had reasons for why he treated Callahan the way that he had and why he treated Sebastian the way that he did. And even though it wasn't his book, I started slipping into his head more and, um, really seeing like 
what his motivation was for what he was doing and what he was willing to sacrifice and give up so his younger brother could have his happy ending. Um, and again, my PA is in my ear, like Reese gets a book. I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. But it had already, like it had already taken like seed in my head. And I was like seeing like Reese developing as like this really like robust and full character um, as I got to talk through him within the second book. So then I was like, yeah, like I can't not give him a book. I had absolutely fallen in love with him by the time the second book was done being written. Um, and so then I was like, okay, so I'm going to do a third book and I'm going to write Reese and we're going to get to the bottom of his issues and really like understand why he's been so horrible to like all of these other people. Um, and so as you get into his book, you, you like have a better understanding of like the things he does and what his motivations are. Um, and so it was just, I felt like it was an important story to tell. I, I infused Reese's character, um, with a lot of personality traits from once I realized I was giving him a book, at least I started to infuse a lot of like my, my best friend's personality into, (laughs) into Reese. And there's lots of conversations in a matter of fact that him and I had in real life (laughs) with each other. Um, Does he know he's the inspiration for a character and character traits? (laughs) He, um, he did. And he, I don't, I don't want to be like a huge downer here. he, was killed in a motorcycle accident in November unexpectedly, obviously unexpectedly. Um, So I had just finished the book and he hadn't had a chance to read it. Um, But he knew because I would send him, I talked to him all the time. So I'd send him parts of like what I'm writing and we would, we would laugh about it. Um, But it was so, so I took like the things I saw in him as my friend and who he was as a person. And I looked at how he presented himself to all the other people in his life. And I really just shoved that into Reese. Um, and I mean, it, it must've worked obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so Jay had jokingly said that I should call the series, the redemption of Reese St. George, because like, you really just like <laughs> see his character development through, through the whole book. And I think that like that trilogy is what really, cemented to me that like this is what I want to be writing like these character driven stories and maybe not everybody is worthy of redemption and maybe not everybody gets a redemption arc like I'm not trying to write like villain to protagonist all the time but like looking at that character growth and how they can do that on their own and with other people and and the importance of like that found family and support system um existing within these characters and these books and like that's what I want to do more of so that's what that's like now and it sounds like you really cracked a code there with that book because Jane was talking about it on the show redemption arcs are not easy when you have somebody who's you know kind of terrible and then you manage to redeem them to the point that everybody can be like okay you're not so bad anymore and you know right they can stick well (laughs) And it, it meant so much that people were so willing to like read that book and really take a chance on Reese as a character because he was like 
really horrible in the first book. Um, you didn't see a lot of him in the first book. You just saw him being like an absolute POS, to be honest. Um, and then you get to have a little bit more like one-on like conversations with him in the second book. So you sort of see like he's just towing the line and he's really like doing the best he can and just trying to protect the people that he cares about. Um, and then when you when you get to his book, you really see like he is willing to sacrifice so much of himself and his happiness to make sure the people that he cares about are happy. Um, and that's why I think that his redemption story worked because it wasn't coming from a, pa- a place of arrogance or selfishness, even though that's how it looked on the page initially. It was really coming from a place of like, I have so much love for the people in my life that this is what I have to do. Oh, I love that. Now you've got several series and there are actually standalones in your backlist, despite how some of your more recent things have gone. There's two, I think, right? Like two maybe. (laughs) For someone who's new to your work, what would you recommend, kind of recommend as the ideal, you know, starting spot, starting point? Right. This is always such a hard question for me because I'm like, one part of me is like, start at the beginning or like here, start at this series. It depends on what you're into. Like, do you like humiliation? Can't here, start here. Um, I, and so I pulled my readers group yesterday and I'm like, nice. and I, cause I feel like they're reliable enough. So I said, if you could only recommend one of my books to somebody who had never read my books before, what would it be? And the, the majority consensus was my standalone, which is a book called unfettered um because like the and and i agree and that's one that i generally recommend a lot as well like one because it's basically a standalone even though it segues into a series <laughs> even the standalone um, segue somehow i know i know i'm the worst um <laughs> it's basically a standalone but it really has a lot it's kinky and it has a lot of angst. It's a little hurt comfort story. There's age gap in there. Um, and I do like to make things a little bit unpredictable. So that book has the, uh, the younger character is the dominant partner in that relationship. And um, the submissive character is healing from some trauma um, from a past relationship. And so a lot of the growth and development in that book is them learning how to like navigate this path of healing between um for Heath who's the older character so I think it like hits the important Kate Hawthorne brand things like it has the angst it has the heat it has the kink like it's good and then it shoves you right into a five book series room for love so (laughs) I I, I think unfettered is where to start (laughs) excellent looking off into the future a little bit after not ready for love is done which will be you know later this summer yes <laughs> what's coming up next for you no idea um which is actually like the first time where i have not known um what i'm doing next um and i i don't know if that's just because i've been on like autopilot for like the past 4 months um and now that i'm out of the ideas that i came up with before then like i'm going to have to stop and think what to do um my, um, E.M. Denning, who was like one of my best friends, gave me a plot bunny today that has been burrowing itself deeper into my head the longer I think about it. And I'm like, oh, 
it could be this one. Maybe it's this. Um, but yeah, I, I really have no idea what's next. Um, this would probably be like a fair point to say, I am working on like a secret side project that not a lot of people know about. (sighs) So like realistically, that's probably what's next. Um, but it is a new pet name and it is not, there's it, it's sapphic. Um, which is really fun for me to write. And I'm really excited to like dip my toes into that. Um, so that's probably what's next, <laughs> assuming I get it finished. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to like branching out and telling more, uh, stories. Um, but beyond that, who knows? <laughs> Not me, surely. <laughs> the pin name when you're ready to put that out is it going to be a secret pen name or will it be you know kate hawthorne is also this person definitely not secret um and i weighed like the pros and cons for a really long time if if i wanted to like just write it under kate hawthorne or if i wanted to write it under another pen name um and i respect the fact that a lot of my readers are not interested in reading books that are not about men or male presenting characters. Um, and I want to make sure they're getting the best reading experience they can. Like if you, a Kate Hawthorne book is going to have angst and kink and heat. And I want them to know that that's what they're getting. Um, I'm not quite sure where this other story is going. Um, but the two lead characters are women. And so I just think that it's best to sort of keep that under another pen name, but I will, I'm 100% like open about the fact that it's me. Um, and I'm just sort of separating it for that whole customer experience. <laughs> absolutely. Look forward to that news when it's time for it to come out. That'll yes, be absolutely. Hopefully, like, hopefully, like right after this series is done. So hopefully like July or August more to come. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, this big gay fiction fest is taking place during pride month, right? As the month gets started. Yes. I'd love to know what pride means to you. I think like it's it's such an interesting question, right? Because like I have grown up around pride events. My mom is a lesbian. Uh, my best friends in high school were gay. My best friends as an, as an adult are gay. I'm I'm bisexual. Like, I, I think that pride is really just about like living your authentic life in the, in the most honest and admittedly like the safest way you can. Um, I do always try to like remind myself and remind other people, right. That like the first pride was a riot. It was a protest and, and, and what the roots of like pride are and what it meant versus what it is now. And like, cool. Yes. Now it's a party. Um, but trying to be really like cognizant of the, the work that has gone into getting us to where the, the community is in 2022, um, and recognizing that you can celebrate like the leaps that have been made without, without shutting out people who are not able to come out or are not comfortable with some of these labels or whatever. So I think that like, 
pride is just really like being authentic and letting other people be authentic in the ways that mean the most to them. Mm -hmm. And I really like how you threw in there being safe at the same time, because there's certainly being your authentic self, but then making sure that you're safe at the same time is is so key. Uh, yeah, especially with like all of this legislation oh my God. that's been passing yeah. lately. Like it's absolutely like it's it's frustrating and terrifying. And I think that like more than ever, pride should really be like about voting, <laughs> like, voting protecting and your rights and protesting. Maybe not a riot, yeah. but definitely protest. Yeah, um, like we all have voices. We should use them. Yeah. How do you think pride <sighs> manifests itself in your stories? I, I always do my best to write characters who are comfortable in their own skin, right? So like being authentic um, and, and recognizing like what you're into and why you're into it. Um, And I try to like have all of my characters do that, right? Like I am not over here telling like coming out stories and, and it's different for me to have come out as bisexual for like a man coming out as gay or a man coming out as bisexual, like, and, and everybody's experiences are different. So I just try to really just like write characters who are being true to themselves and chasing after their own happiness and supporting the people around them to do the same thing. Um, so I hope that like, I hope that comes off on the page that I really am just like all about like being comfortable and being honest and, and being proud obviously of, of the queer community and the queer culture and like, and what everything means to each character individually. Mm -hmm. I love that. As we, as we, as we wrap up here. What do you hope your readers are taking away from your stories? That changes so often, right? (laughs) Like sometimes I'm like, I really want a reader to like see the appeal of this specific kink that I'm writing. Or like, I want a reader to like not be squicked out by this specific thing by the time they're done with my book or like, or like, you know, like writing like unconventional happy endings where these characters are like in poly relationships or, or are not living together and are not like subscribing to like heteronormative sort of happy endings. Like I really like want readers to recognize that happy endings look different for everybody um, and being okay with that. Like I have a book where the characters um, are super, super happy and in love when the book is over, but like they do their own thing. Like they travel the world separately and cause that's what they want to do. And that's what works for them. But at the end of the day, they come home to each other in the safe little space that they have created and the kink that exists within the safety of their home. And I, I want readers to be able to like, look at that book and look at that couple and be like, this is valid. Like, you know, to like look outside your own experiences and recognize that what you might consider a happy ending or a successful relationship is not the same for everybody else. Because even though this is just fiction, like real life is like that 
too. And sort of like, I would love if my books could like push people to broaden their horizons a little bit, whether it's in regards to kink or relationships or, or anything like that's what I hope to do. And like, if I make people cry along the way, even better. (laughs) It comes back to presenting that life that you may not live and giving a little more understanding into something that is not your, your everyday. Yeah. And like most of these books are not my everyday. Like I am not a, a one of five brothers and I don't own a hotel and I'm not a vampire and I don't make a million dollars a year, you know, but <laughs> we're just here to tell stories and have good, like hopeful stories and show happiness and like unconditional love and make some people happy along the way. Oh. That's like the pull quote for this entire interview right there. That last <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Idly. <laughs> you mean it wasn't the one about the humiliation kink? Okay. <laughs> if you're just, if you're boring, just say so. What is the best way for everybody to keep up with you online to know about oh. that new pen name when it's ready and what you decide to do after not ready for love and everything else is going to come down the line. Um, the best way is to sign up for my newsletter at katehawthornbooks.com. Um, and then like when you sign up for it, you open it and you read it and you click something in it. So my newsletter provider knows that you want to receive it. Um, (laughs) aside, uh, aside from that, um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, which I shouldn't be. Um, (laughs) I have a, I have a really, uh, decent size and active Facebook group called Hawthorne's Harem. And I spend way too much time there. Um, I would probably publish more books if I wasn't on Facebook as much as I am. So that's probably the easiest place to find. I think everybody (laughs) has that problem. (laughs) Who's an author. My God. I literally like posted like a, like a TikTok today that was like, if I could get off TikTok, like I might make this deadline, but here we are. Well, Kate, I'm so happy you joined us for the Big Gay Fiction Fest. Can't wait to read the Not Ready for Love series. And thank you for being here and celebrating a little Pride Month with us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was it was so much fun, and I'm just really glad to be a part of it. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. The show notes page also has links to everything that we talked about in this episode. And if you'd like even more gay fiction recommendations, Jeff and I have put together Happily Ever After, a free ebook full of reviews and suggested romance reads. You'll get it when you sign up for the Rainbow Romance Reader Report, our weekly podcast newsletter. To learn more and to get your free ebook, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com/report. Thanks again to Kate for being part of Big Gay Fiction Fest. I loved Not Allowed, which I'll review in more detail in a future episode, but I could tell you right now that I can't wait to read the next two books in the series. It is so good. All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Thursday in episode 383, Fiction Fest continues with a panel on historical romance. We've got a great lineup for this panel with Annabelle Green, Mary Farmer, and Kat Sebastian. Among the topics we'll talk about are why they pick the time period that they write in, the research that goes into those historicals, and why historical romance is so popular right now with shows like Bridgerton and The Gilded Age. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kind of stories we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages 
and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 